1: You know, I, I got two pair of shoes that look alike, but I wear the, the ones that don't look quite as nice as the new ones because they just, you know, they just, they're broken in. You know, I'm safe. All right. All right. So you got my point. Let's go a little bit further. And he says for I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son. We made that point. Is my witness. So he's basically saying not only is this inspired by the Lord but God knows that I'm saying this. So I'm not telling you a lie right now. How that unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers making requests. Let's stop for a moment. Man, that is jam full of high octane words. Always full, complete. I'm sharing just everywhere. I'm all the you know. To me, that is prayer. And and I I would like to know: Do I pray for you like that, Carol? And I, this this past I don't know month or so, we felt more like we haven't been praying like we should. I don't mean we don't pray for you, but I want to pray as close to this kind of attitude that he had. God knows unceasingly, I make mention of you, corporately and individually, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now, last, I could come and see you. So here, he says, I want to be near you, I want to be with you, I want to spend time with you, I want to be in your presence, and that's what he was praying most for. Well, that's an interesting request, because he said, I want to be with you. But later on, he says that I was kind of prevented from getting there. I, I, I couldn't get there, but I wanted to be there. Why did he want to be there? It says, for I long to see you all that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. Now, it wasn't like Paul was a Santa Claus that had the power to give out the gift of mercy and the gift of teaching and the gift of helps no that's not the same gift here this would be that i might impart some spiritual gift to you in other words something that's spiritual with me that god has spiritualized me that i can impart some spiritual dynamic of a gift like giving it to you i want to impart it to you i want you to have this i want to touch your life with something that'll add value in the spiritual realm that you can take with you to the bank So that's what he's basically saying. But it doesn't just stop there. That's what he's praying. I want to get there to go do that so I can have continued relationships with you. Then he says that you may be established. So he's basically saying, I need you to be strengthened. You're not as strong as you could be and you'd be stronger if I could get there so I could take what God's given to me in some measure and help you impart that in your life. So basically it's saying, if I'm not around you and you're not around me, then you're not going to become strong. So when you separate from church on a regular basis and you just kind of grab it because you can get it on a CD or on a website, you're going to miss the inner relationships that you'll have with one another. But it even ramps it up. He turns up the volume and he says in verse 12, that is that I may be encouraged together with you. So in other words, I want to give you my gift. I want you to be strong because when you're strong, I'm going to be encouraged with you and you're going to be encouraged with me, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So in other words, I may come to give you my gift and in my spiritual whatever God's given to me and I want to impart it to you because I love you, you're going to be strong but when you're strong you're going to encourage me and when I'm encouraged you're going to be encouraged and guess what, we're going to be encouraged Everybody it goes on. can you imagine what that would be like and that's why we meet that's why we don't plan things on Sunday morning that's why we try to come to places where the body is meeting together as much as possible now when I said that let me not put you under guilt or the law there are times that God is not going to have you be able to be at something whether it 's health or work or a sick child or something you you, you know you got to if you don 't you know come apart you'll come apart so you didn't, do need to have some vacation time. We all get that, but I think if we 're honest and, and knowing that sometimes we don 't really connect as often as we would now, why am I so passionate about this because i 've had guys come into my life I'd much rather stay in front of the Bible I' much rather study and read and all of this i don 't play well. you already know that when, when I go out to eat with you, what do we do? We talk about ministry talk about talk about blah, blah, blah. I just need to play. So I'm working on this. But as I read a verse like this, you know what I am, folks? Here it is. One word. Here it is. Convicted. Because when I'm around you, you do encourage me. I I met with a brother for breakfast. Never had breakfast with him. Been in the church for three or four years. I'm guilty of sin over this thing. We met each other this morning. We chatted for just a few moments. And I said, Man, did it feel good to have breakfast with you. I didn't realize how much you liked me. No, I wouldn't say that. But the point of the matter is, we got to get together with one another. And that's what he's saying I'm praying that I can get to you. Now, I don't have time to answer this, but why did we run out of time? I don't know. But here he says, I couldn't get to you. At the end of Romans uh, chapter 15, towards the end of the book, he says, I tried to get to you, but I couldn't get to you, but I want to get to you, and you want to get to Rome. He told other people in the book of Acts, I've got to get to Rome, got to get to Rome, got to get to Rome. Why did he want to go to Rome? We already studied it right here. But it said, unless the Lord wills it. If the Lord wills it. Now watch carefully. This is important. In Thessalonians, he says, I wanted to get to Thessalonica, but Satan hindered me. So what's the question? Is it the Lord or is it Satan that hinders us from going and doing the things that God wants us to do? Let me answer it this way. It's really both. But if you want to know who trumps whom, God trumps Satan. So relax, okay? You can stay in the rest of the service. I know that. But if you go through the book of Job, which you'll get in our, our connection group on Sunday morning, you're going to see that Satan was permitted to do certain things with Job. And Job, I think, wanted to go further. In Job, I mean, Satan wanted to go further in Job's life. But the Lord says, you can go this far, but you can't go that far. So in other words, Satan hindered Job in some really big ways. But he didn't hinder him as far as he wanted to because God says, no, you can't go this far. And then when it was all said and done, at the end of the book, you've got to go to the class and you'll hear what happened at the end of the book. No, at the end of the book... God blessed him. Why am I saying all of this? For you and me, there are times... Well, let me say it differently, more accurately. In the life of the Apostle Paul, if I'm using him as my model now, remember, he wanted to go places for spiritual reasons. Now, there may be other things that he did there. He might have liked some of their food. He might have wanted to see somebody he never met before, but he heard about. I don't know. I don't think it was for vacation. He had, he had spiritual reason to get there. All right, that now being said... Satan then hindered him. So that may mean that some of you may want to go and do something that you know God would want you to do, but you're not getting there yet, and he hinders you. Now, as I look through what he's done in Paul's life and others, I find out that Satan is our enemy that's hindering us, but God is the one who opens doors and closes doors, so it's really all about the Lord. But remember, the real enemy is not the Lord It is Satan. Meaning this. If you are hindered in going and doing and becoming something you would really like to do, the Lord is allowing you to be hindered at that moment to accomplish what he wanted you to, to maybe stay where you are, to do what you need to do until you get that done. And then he throws open the doors and he blesses you and he moves you on ahead. If he's called you, it's on his calendar, not your calendar, to do that. Now listen carefully. When he wanted to go to Rome, remember what he really wanted to do is get to Spain. But he couldn't get to Spain because he wanted to get to Rome first. We already studied some of this stuff. But he was hindered to go from Rome. He wanted to go to Rome, get in Rome. Hey, guys, I'm here. i got to preach to you. Gather a crowd. It wasn't that way. You know how he got to Rome? He was a prisoner. And so he didn't have access to the city. He had access to a hired house with some hands and a Roman soldier nearby. Couldn't get out very much. But God did allow others to come see him. And so he witnessed to many people. People came to faith. He trained leaders. A lot of other things that he did in Rome. But he didn't do it Paul's way. He did it God's way. So while God hindered it this way and in this timing, God opened the door at that time and that way. And that's how it's going to happen The other thing is it's temporary. Sometimes when the Lord hinders us, it's not all the time. It's temporary. So please know that in God's timing, you're going to just rest in him. So that tells me about waiting. Let's go back to Romans. I am running out of time. I, I'm trying to shorten the messages here. And yet, get through the book before I die. So let's go on. Or you die. All right, so let's go a little bit further here. So he says here um, that we can encourage one another. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also. Um, I don't believe it's souls one to Christ necessarily because he's writing to Christians. So it's maybe a little that by extension, but not directly. Also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles which, uh, you know, the apostle Peter was called to the Jews and Paul was called mostly to the Gentiles. It doesn't mean that Peter never gave the gospel to Gentiles and it doesn't mean that Paul never gave the gospel to Jews, but they had a primary ministry. And in this case, he says, I was giving the gospel to a lot of Gentiles, as I even had over the rest of the Gentiles. Oh, folks, oh, you've got to do this. Get yourself a good resource book and find out where Paul was before he ever wrote the book of Romans in Corinth and see all the places he's been. Read it in the book of Acts and see the fruit that he had. And he said, just like I saw lives changed, salvation and otherwise, okay, he wanted to have that among him. It was all about fruit. So when you go on vacation, it ought to be, yeah, I want to go see the Grand Canyon, but I want to see if there's anybody there that I can touch for Christ. Basically, wherever I go, I would like to reach them. Verse 14, now we're going to talk, and I've I got to quit with this real quick. We're going to call it the passion. What was passion? When you, when, when, you know, I said when you cut his wrist, he bled the gospel. Well, what, was, what pumped the blood out, in other words? Isn't that gross? Don't, don't, don't use that with your kids going home. I, I just thought of that. But my point is, what, what got him to get it out? It was this. Verse 14 says, and by the way, there's three I am's here, and you're going to want to mark them in your Bible. Jesus had seven I am's. You know, I'm the bread of life. I'm the good shepherd. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul was explaining his heart here with three I am's. He said, I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, to do what? Verse 15, to preach the gospel. Let's go back. I am under obligation. That means he had to preach the gospel. He was under obligation. Now, when I think of obligation, let's say that I found the cure to some horrible disease that you had. Wouldn't you think just as basic human decency if I had the cure and I saw you have that need, wouldn't I, under just human decency, have the obligation to tell you that? Of course I would. If I knew there was a, a truck heading down this lonely road that never goes down this road and you decided to camp on this road in some town in, outside of Texas somewhere and I knew that truck, I had an obligation to tell you, get out of the road, the truck's going to hit you. And that's what he's saying here. I am obligated to give you this message. And he says to the Greeks into the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise. And I don't want you to divide it up into four groups. It's basically speaking all about the same, but into two general categories. One would be the cultured and the uncultured. The ones would be the um, intellectual or the educated or the uneducated. So he's really kind of dividing it up. And if I can even step away a little bit further, he says, I'm obligated, no matter what group you're with, I'm obligated to preach the gospel to you so no one is to be left out. And I hope that we would be very careful that while we may be called to speak into the college campuses and go into a campus ministry and work with the intellectuals that we never forget about the, the people on the college campuses that clean the commodes. that never got that education and that's all they can do to provide food for their family. That wherever we go, we're going to reach those of the up and outers and the down and outers as well. So that's what he was doing. Now, So he said, I'm under obligation. Then verse 15, he says, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel. Still connected to it. I'm, I'm obligated, but I'm eager. So obligated said... I have to do it. Eager says, I want to do it. To you also who are in Rome. So he's basically saying again, I did it everywhere else and I want to do it there in Rome too. But he didn't just stay there. It goes a little bit further. Verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Remember we're talking about uh, the gospel. I, I like to say it this way and this will date me. So you older people, you'll enjoy this. The younger people you are going to say, What? Huh? You remember the television show called Have Gun, Will Travel? How many remember that show? All right. Paul's, his would be, have gospel, we'll travel, you know? So that's what he would do. But let's go back to that not ashamed. That's kind of like an understatement, watch this, of an overstatement. An understatement of an overstatement. That would be like saying, she doesn't sing too bad or too badly, proper grammar here. She doesn't sing too badly. What she's really saying is, she sings good. What he's saying is that, I'm not ashamed. Now, I wish I had time to show you. The Apostle Paul, every time he faced whatever crowd, not knowing the result of what would happen when he preached that message, and then he gives the message and then see the results of that crowd and look at his, quote, abundant life where he was beaten and thrown in jail when he was in the deep and he had all these people against him. And yet he said, I'm not ashamed. He was bold in giving out the gospel. So I'm going to say it this way. I'm obligated, which means I have to do it. I'm eager to do it. I want to do it. And I'm not ashamed says, I will do it. If I'm not ashamed, I will preach this gospel. And I hope we're not ashamed of Jesus Christ in any way. Now, why isn't he not ashamed? It says, because it, the gospel, go to verse 15, draw a line from gospel to it. It is the power of God for all, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So I don't want to make a big deal that you go to all the Jews once they're reached and then all the Greeks... Basically it's saying the gospel really began with the Jews and then also then went to the Greeks and now it's to the Greeks too so you're kind of doing it to both but it went to the Jews first but uh, not that one uh, trumps the other it's everybody together but showing how the gospel started with the Jews and moved to the Greeks right? or to the Gentiles we could say now verse 17 why again? For in it the gospel first is the power but in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written but the righteous man shall live by faith What a tremendous passage here when it says the righteousness of God... You ought to see how many times that phrase is used in Scripture. It's interesting. It's only used eight times in Scripture. Seven times it's used in the, in the book of Romans. One other time is 2 Corinthians 5.21 where God gives us his righteousness when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So the other seven is talking about the righteousness of God. And we get that righteousness of, of Christ when we trust Christ as our Savior. But we also have that righteousness now within us that gives us the reason now to bring glory and honor and power to him. I'm doing a side study right now on uh, the phrase righteousness, loving kindness, and judgment, and how those three words kind of fit together in what order, and who gets what, when, and where, and why. It's a tremendous study, as I'm getting it in Scripture, but the righteousness of God is revealed faith to faith. Now, what does it mean, faith to faith? Since the righteous, by faith, will live, that's the actual way it should be read in the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament. The righteous, by faith, lives... And we know that it's the faith in Christ. We then will live. Stay with me now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land the plane. I promise you. Just give me a couple more moments here. I'm trusting Christ in order for me to go to heaven. When I trust in him, he gives me his righteousness. All right? So when I die, he doesn't look at my righteousness. He looks at his own righteousness that he's given to me. So I get in on his righteousness, not mine. Now stay with me. I live my Christian life And I do this by faith in him who now makes me righteous. He is the one who now lives his life out through me. So I am saved by faith. I am sanctified by faith. As I received him by faith, I walk in faith. Now remember, the object of my faith is really the power source. If I put my faith in myself, I'll go to hell. Put it in a a religion or system, I'll go to hell. If I put it in Christ... I'll have eternal life. If I put my faith in my own ability to live a righteous life, I won't get it. I'll fall flat on my face. My whole reason to live a right life for His glory comes when I trust in Him to do that through His Word. So now, watch this. That's where you get faith to faith. So faith in Christ to faith to walk your Christian life. One writer put it this way. It's like taking from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. It's all of faith. And there's another commentator that says this, and I haven't had time to really... Go deep in it, but it's possible. Sounds pretty logical. And that is, just like the Old Testament people received eternal life to come... In the Old Testament, by faith in the coming Messiah, the one who would die and pay for sin, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world, they had the faith in the Old Testament times, to the faith that we have in the New Testament, the age of grace, going into the future dispensations, that we now have the same faith in Christ, so we get saved the same way, we are righteous the same way, by faith and faith alone. So faith to get saved, faith to live the Christian life, faith in the Old Testament, faith to in not, but through the Old Testament times and teaching us faith in the New Testament. So it goes from faith to faith. <sighs> Did you get all of that? All right, let's end with these four little points. I don't have to preach them. Just to fill in your blanks maybe if you want to for those of you that are so blank driven. All right. I should, number one, clarify my relationship with Christ. If I want to leave here today, I need to know that Christ is the center of my life. I know that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone. It's all about Jesus Christ. Paul said he was a servant of Christ. He couldn't be a servant of Christ until he knew that Christ, Jesus Christ is the Lord who died and rose again. Number two, I must understand the gospel. The gospel is the death and resurrection of Christ. It is the good news. But even more than that, it's the gospel is the person of Christ when he was 100% man, 100% God, who went to the cross and satisfied the God the Father's requirement for us to have eternal life. And that was by dying in pain for sin and then giving to us eternal life free when we place our faith alone in him. Number three, I need to recognize the importance of other people. Uh, there's no way that a, I, that a Christian can live a life in a monastery and please God for the entire, entirety of his life. I understand there's some monastic teaching going on today and I do think it's good that you get alone. I, we teach it in our spiritual life development uh, seminars here. But at the same time, we don't live in our little cocoon. We have to get out, and other people are important. Why are they important? Because they're important to God, and they're and that's and the only way we're going to influence them for the Lord is being around them by modeling and mentoring. And then number four, I want to passionately, I want to live passionately for Jesus Christ and tell others about Him. And I, 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 the Lord doesn't expect you to do beyond what you already know or do beyond what you're able to do. But he is expecting us to continue to grow in grace so we don't groan in disgrace. So I pray that today's message will really impact you. And those of you that are listening uh, to me today and maybe on on another source than just being in our presence here today, I just want you to remember one thing, that Jesus loves you just the way you are and Jesus proved his love to you and that while you were still sinning and we're still sinning, Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago. He paid your ticket to heaven when he died on the cross and shed this horrible death experience of blood. And then to offer to you and me freely, 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 eternal life. And we come to him with our, our inability to save ourselves and our tiny little childlike faith like a little tiny mustard seed. And we say, Lord, I don't, I don't have a lot of faith, but I'm going to put it in you. And I'm trusting in you that you are the Lord. I believe that you're the one who died and rose again. So I believe you. You said to trust in you. I'm now trusting you. I'm believing you. And that gives to me eternal life. On the authority of God's word, He says, he, Jesus says, He that believes on me has right now everlasting life. And I pray you'll trust Christ. If you've trusted Christ as Savior and only for those that have, will you now choose to become a bondservant of the Lord? Choose to say, I love you with all of my heart. And I'm going to give my life to you, not to get saved, not to stay saved, but because I am. Dear ones, thank you for today, and let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God help us all become more like Him. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Word and how easy it is uh, for us to understand if we just get into it and let your Spirit teach us and guide us and use the biblical principles of Bible study and biblical interpretation. I thank you that it truly is a love letter to us and that it is not a book to take away our fun. It's a book to enhance joy in our life no matter what we're going through. Help us, Father, to love you and love your writings and to take the time to read it. And now, Father, I pray that if there's any here today that haven't trusted you as Savior, that right now they're, in this very moment of my prayer, calling upon you to be their Savior. Knowing that it's not even a prayer or a human act. It's, it is a transaction. It's, a, it's transferring their faith from themselves or other things in place, and placing it solely and completely in you. And I pray that they're doing that. And the Lord knows I'm pausing, dear one. So I'm speaking to you now. If today is the day you're trusting Christ as your Savior by faith alone. And you'd like for me to pray for you. I'd like to do that. Now I'm not going to have you come forward, stand up. I'm not going to have you do anything that's going to embarrass you. And frankly, me praying for you will not get you into heaven. It's the fact that you trusted Christ as your Savior. And you're just wanting me to kind of remember you in my closing prayer in some way. And I'd love to do that. I'd love to know that today you trusted Christ. That's part of the encouragement of the fruit that's among you that the Apostle Paul wanted to have. Well, I want to have that too. And I want you to be encouraged to know that there's someone here also that knows that you trusted Christ today. And together we're going to privately have a little... Celebration time. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Now, raising your hand is not going to get you into heaven. But it indicates silently to me that you did trust Christ in here today to be your forever Savior for the full forgiveness of all sin. So is there anyone in here today with heads bowed and eyes closed who would like for me to pray for you and in a certain sense pray with you as we celebrate the work of God in your life today because you trusted Christ. You may not have felt it. But the good news is God says you don't have to. It's a done deal if you trusted Christ. So is there anyone today that's trusted Christ as our Savior, never done it before? Would you slip up your hand? You're, you're doing it now. Anyone at all. Put your hand up. Anyone at all. Okay. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word and that we don't have to raise our hand or fill out a card. But we must trust you as Savior. We need to activate our will and place our faith alone in you. And now, Father, as believers, we want to go beyond fire insurance. We want to go into this fullness of the Christian life and living for you in a victorious way. And so, Lord, help us now as we meet again next week as we begin to to really discover the balance of the love of God with the wrath of God and how insulated we are for eternity from your wrath. But, oh, Father, help us now to really see what society is like and maybe even that alone will remind us of our calling and responsibility to reach them with the love of God. Bless these dear people in Jesus' name. Amen.